Welcome to the Impact Church Podcast. Today is really an amazing service because we're having a baptismal service today as well, but we're going to continue to move along on the series, David, King of Hearts. We're going to talk about a heart of worship, a heart of worship, because you know, what you do and how you worship God, how you present yourself before God in your private world that determines the kind of influence you're going to have publicly. And David knew how to order his private world as a worshiper before God. So come on, let's get right into that word. So we want to talk about David. We're talking about David. We're going to look at David for a while, and we're going to dig deep into his life a bit. Uh, he's a man after God's own heart. Nobody else in the Bible was described as a man after God's own heart, but David was. And so, uh, I, I mean, after Jesus, 66 chapters of the Bible, no one is mentioned, talked about more than David. Even in the New Testament, he is named 59 times in the New Testament. God wants to teach us something in the life of David. Even when Joseph, it was announced to him that you're going to give birth to a son and he's going to be in the line of David. He's in the line of David. David, every good king after David, whether they were from his line or not, every good king after David says, and he was a king after David's heart. If you were good, there was something you were aligning yourself with a revelation that David had. You were aligning yourself with a revelation that David had. What was the revelation that David had? What was it about David that meant he had a heart after God? Saul, the people chose Saul. He was a, a manifestation of the flesh, but God provided himself a king with David. God sought after David. God looked for certain qualities, but he produced those qualities in David, and David was presented to his destiny by God himself. In 1 Samuel 13, 8 and 9, this is where Saul was told to go destroy the Amalekites, and he didn't do what he was told to do. He brought some of it back, and he said, I'd like to have a sacrifice. I'd like to do this. He disobeyed God. Many times God gave him direction, and he disobeyed God. And here he was waiting, and Samuel told him, wait seven days. Wait. Say wait. Wait seven days, and then I'm going to come, and we're going to have a sacrifice. So here's uh, Saul. He said he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering. They'd all been waiting for Samuel, and the people, Saul, no, no, wait, don't, no, hold on, stay, wait. Well, what's going on? He says, says, you know what? We got to start the show right now. We got to start the show now. Bring the animals in. Let's start the sacrifice. Let's do the stuff. And as he did the sacrifice, it's just, you know, in the middle of it all, here comes Samuel. Samuel. And Samuel came just like he said he was going to come, and he came, and he was doing these burnt offerings, and he offered burnt offerings. But it says, Samuel said in chapter 13, 14, he said, but now your kingdom must end, for the Lord has sought a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people, because you have kept not the command of the Lord. John chapter 3, 6 says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Now, even spirit-filled believers can live out of the flesh. Isn't that bizarre? Isn't it amazing that little old me, even baptized in the Holy Ghost, full of the Holy Ghost, I can still be led by flesh. I can still make decisions by flesh. And it says in the deeds of the flesh, they're obvious, they're common. You see, Saul was somebody who was anointed. He was anointed. The same anointing that was on David was on Saul. And it said, someone from your line will always be on the throne. But then later on, Saul decided that he wasn't going to live out of the spirit. He decided to live out of the carnal nature of, of, of the flesh and not a carnal nature because we don't have a carnal nature because we're new creatures in Christ Jesus. Amen. 
Amen. We're not, we don't got two things fighting inside of us. It's not like I, I got the good guy and the bad guy and the one I feed wins. You don't have a bad guy in you. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. But even that new creature in Christ Jesus, you can choose to live out of the flesh, to follow the flesh. But that which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is spirit is spirit. Now, I got a little picture here for you. I hope there's no emergencies that day because all the fellers are in line. They're all in line. That's uh, Tim Hortons with all the policemen. Isn't that good? You know? So I got another picture for you. Bang. Now, how many have gone to a theme park? How many people like theme parks? I actually avoid theme parks with everything in me because I, I really don't like lines. Even if I go to Tim Hortons and if the drive through is already out the road, I'll pull in and try to see if I can get it inside quicker. You know, it's like we're always looking for quicker. We want to get it now. We want to get it quicker. It's amazing. We, everything is speeding up in our society because everybody knows you want it quicker. So even when you go to the theme parks, they understand that people hate to wait. People hate to wait. I don't want to wait. I want it now. Can I get it quicker? We're on Amazon Prime so that I don't have to wait a couple days. I can get it tomorrow. It'll be shipped to me right away. I can track it. I can see it's on its way. I want it now. You see, here at the theme parks, you can, you can get a pass. You can get the fast pass so that you don't have to wait as much. So you pay to get in the park, and then you can pay extra. Like, why do they do that? Like, I mean, the, they, got, they got this massive park. They bring thousands of people in, and there's only really six rides that are any good. And then thousands of us are lining up to get on these rides. I mean, have you been there? I was at Disney, and I'm, I actually, they have an app at Disney where you can buy your ride in a segment of time. So you just have to go to the ride at that time. So you pay extra so that you can go, I'm on the ride at 1010. So 1010 comes and it's my time to be on a ride. But you know, even when you've booked your time, there's all kinds of other people booked your time as well. So I thought I wouldn't be in line, but even then I was in a line. And I'm in this line, but I'm looking and as I'm walking up my line, which is shorter, the long, long line, it actually had signs that says two hours to the ride. Have you ever been there with like two? Why would you stay there when it says two hours to the ride? Like two hours of my life. You pay all that money to get into Walt Disneyland and eight hours of that day you were standing in line. Just crazy stuff. And then, then here's the other thing. If you're with your friends and you want to ditch them, you can go on the single rider pass. It's not a pass, but you get there and you're with all your friends. Imagine you're there and you got your girlfriend with you and it's like, I can stay with you for two hours or I can single ride. See ya! Sadly, that's the way it is with Christianity. There's a lot of people on the single rider, you know. I'll do this myself if you don't mind. It's easier to serve Jesus by myself than to do it in community. You know, sometimes it's tough. The waiting is really, really difficult. But waiting is really the problem with Saul. The problem with Saul was he couldn't wait. He couldn't, he couldn't rest. He couldn't settle in God's timing. He had to take things in his own hands because God said, what about the, or Saul said, what about the people? He's always looking around. What about them? What about this? What about that? And he wasn't willing to rest and let God be God. God in the situation and I don't know about you but I can be like that sometimes because waiting just drives me crazy but waiting is an incredible lesson 
in the kingdom. First Samuel 16, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have, ref- I, I have refused him. For the Lord does not look and see as a man sees. For man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So last week we talked about David, and we talked about his brothers, and how God rejected all of his brothers, and they were named things. There's things God rejected. I mean, Samuel, who was a man of God, he'd already anointed Saul, who was the wrong choice, head and shoulders above everyone, seemed attractive to me, it appealed to me, but that wasn't God's choice. And sure enough, he sees one of Jesse's son, he says, ah, there it is, that's the one. But that was, again, choosing by sight, choosing less, just like the flesh chose Saul, choosing again. And God said, I don't look at the outward, I look at the heart. And so it's really, really important. So what was it about the heart of David? David's name means beloved, loved one, loving from the root of to boil. God is looking for lovers. He's looking for people that are going to settle in, fix in, absolutely nail themselves to God's purpose. God is looking for lovers. I love Bill Johnson said, intimate lovers make the best warriors. Intimate lovers. And it's true. I'll tell you, if you don't love something and it's being ravaged, who cares, right? You know, shouldn't be like that. You should be good to everybody. But you know, when you are invested and you have passion, you have love for something, don't touch the stuff I really love. And intimate lovers make the best warriors. Now I'm going to go all the way to the New Testament. I'm trying to get all kinds of thoughts in that I've tried to preach for two weeks, but the services have gone different ways. But I'm going to go all the way to the book of Acts. And this is a sermon from the Apostle Paul. Now the Apostle Paul was preaching and he's laying out for these folks all the background in the purpose of God. And he brings in David. He mentions David. He says, and when he had removed him who was Saul, he raised up for them David as king, to whom he also gave testimony. What did he say? He said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He's a man after my own heart. What does it mean to be a man after the heart of God? Well, the Bible often answers questions for you. And when the Bible interprets the Bible, that's the best way to read the Bible. So I like it when that happens. So when God pulls truth through the covenantal filter of the cross and it's ministered and talked about in the new covenant, we get what that means. A man after my own heart. Well, what is a man after my own heart? One who will do all my will. Someone who's after the heart of God is someone who will do all my will. And from this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a savior, Jesus. Jesus came in the line of David. David came. Jesus came in the line of David to fulfill the will of his father. Now, what, what was it about David? What was that? What was the will of God that he obeyed? What, because we know David blew it. We know that it's not God's will that you should kill, yet he had somebody murdered. It's not God's will that you should, you know, commit adultery, yet he committed adultery. I mean, it's God's will that you should raise your family well. David says, I was not who I should be at home. I mean, David really, as, as a man, was a bit of a mess all the way around. So what was it about his will? Some say, I think what he was after God's heart when he was really good at repenting. And I think that's true. He was a good repenter. But more than that, David had a working revelation of who God was. And the will of God wasn't that we should repent because God desires obedience over sacrifice. So what is it really that David did that God was for? Psalm 36 verse 7 says, How precious is your unfailing love, O God. All humanity finds shelter in the shadow of your wings. 
I could show you all kinds of scriptures that talk about David, how he had a revelation of the unfailing love of God, how he had a revelation of the grace of God. He had a revelation of God is going to make a way for you that has nothing to do with your performance. It has nothing to do with what have you sinned, how much sin. God himself is nuts about you. God is going to make a way for you. God is going to make it possible that every tongue, every tribe, every nation, everyone is going to have absolute clear access to his love and to his presence. It's God's will that no one should be kept from a manifestation of his love. It's God's will that there would be no barriers between you and his unfailing love for you. And David knew that. David knew even your failures cannot keep you from the intimate, wonderful love of God. And David didn't just know that. David proved that he knew that by doing something wild in his generation. Wild. Just wild. Say wild. Amos chapter 9, verse 11. It says, in that day. How many like prophecy and all that stuff? End time stuff? This is end times prophecy. This is the stuff, sadly, that gets more overlooked than the other stuff. This is it. In the last day, I'm going to raise up the tabernacle of David. This is something David did because he understood how much God loves you. He will not treat you as your sins deserve. As far as the east is from the rest, west, he's going to remove your sins from you. He's going to make it absolutely impossible for you not to be touched by his kindness and his love. He's going to remove every obstacle, even your failures, even your rebellion to run away from him. He's going to chase you down, tackle you. He wants to have an intimate working relationship with you. And David knew that about God. David knew that God is not some fickle, you know, bound up in rules and regulations guy. He's a guy who's going to move heaven and earth to be in a relationship with you. And David knew that. You don't have to come here and learn 10 more principles to get closer to God. God has got close to you in Christ Jesus once and for all. He has reconciled you to himself. You just got to say, thank you. David knew that. David knew that in an old covenant. David knew that in a system of rules, in a system of regulations, in a system of animal sacrifice. David knew God doesn't want that. He wants me. And he knew that. How do I know that? Because there's a tabernacle of David that was built. And you know what's going to be built up and clearly established in the last days? The tabernacle of David. Not the tabernacle of Moses. Not the temple. What's going to be established in the last days is the tabernacle of David. If that's what God is doing today, don't you think you should know what that is? What's God doing today? He's building the tabernacle of David. And if you don't know what he's building, you don't even know what you're looking for. How are you today? Tabernacle of David. So I love when the New Testament explains the Old Testament. Acts chapter 15. They got together, and in your Bible, when you look at that, many translations say the Gentile problem. Imagine the Gentile problem. And here was the problem. They thought Christianity was a Jewish faith. They thought it was just for the Jewish people. And they were all perplexed, going... My goodness, Peter has gone out and ministered, and Gentile people came in. Paul is now ministering in areas. He left Antioch, and he's bringing all kinds of Gentiles into the family of God. It's a problem. Can you imagine it being a problem that whosoever will is coming in contact with the love of God? Welcome home. 
So here's what it says. What's he doing? And this is James. He was the half-brother of Jesus. He stood up and he said, what's going on is exactly what Scripture foretold. What we are seeing happen with the Gentiles is the fulfillment of the revelation. And he quoted Amos 9. He said, just like it says in Amos 9, I will return and build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. I'm going to remove every single barrier to the love of God. I'm going to remove every single barrier to absolute, full-on, full contact, intimate contact with the Heavenly Father. That's what God's doing today. So I'm going to build it up again so the rest of mankind can see. But even all the Gentiles who are called by my name says the Lord who does all these things. Hebrews chapter 9. Viviana is mad at me because she's trying to translate. Actually, she's in kids' church. So anyways, last week we had people translating for Spanish folks here. And they were like, Pastor, you're on a race. I go, I know. I know. We're going to get some translator kits so that they can put them right on their ears and they can get that directly. Amen. Amen. Hebrews chapter 9, they're talking about the building of the temple. He says, by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit points this out. It points out the way. It gives us the way to the true holy of holies, not yet thrown open as long as the former outer portion of the temple remains as a recognized institution and is still standing. See, the Holy Spirit is revealing that it's the tabernacle of David. It's not, it's not this temple with all these outer courts. You see, what needs to be restored is David's tabernacle. Because if the outer, if the outer courts, if the old system still remains, the way, not the ability to get in, but even the where is it? Where is the way to the glory of God? Where the way to the glory of God is not revealed if you keep the Old Testament structures, if you keep the Old Testament in its formats, if you keep the old ways of the temple still standing, if you embrace those patterns, the veil is not torn. There's a veil before your eyes. You'll never know the goodness of God. He said the way is not revealed if that still stands. And sadly, even in Christian churches today, we're still teaching about old covenant structures and systems. And if that way prevails, if that way still exists, the way to the glory is not revealed to us. There's a true manifestation of the heart of God, and that was the tabernacle of David. And that's why David was a man after God's own heart, because David knew God wants to have intimate fellowship with every person. It's not his will that any should Paris, he through his son has removed every obstacle so that every man, woman, child can seek God without fear. Amen. That's what it's all about. You see, in the old covenant, they only one guy once a year could go into the Holy of Holies. And David built the temp- tabernacle of David in the old covenant. There was only one piece of furniture in the Old Covenant, uh, in David's tabernacle, and that was the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant represented the manifest presence of God. And you'll never experience the manifest presence of God if you try to do it through old patterns and old traditions. The veil is not removed. But Jesus came to remove every single veil so we could all have free access to God's goodness and his love. And how do you do it? Only believe. Just say thank you. It's not about performance anymore. It's not about how good you are. It's about how good he is. And if you begin to understand how good he is, it's amazing how that'll affect how good you are. The how good you are does not come from your ability. The how good you are comes from understanding what he has done for you. And the revelation of that will transform you through and 
through. There's no other way. There's no other way except through an unveiled experience with the full-on presence of God. So David wanted the ark of God. He wanted it to rest in Zion, and he did that. We're going to talk about it in the weeks to come. But David went and got the ark, and he brought it right into Jerusalem, and he put up one little fabric tent, four poles and a little tent, and the presence of God was right there, and there were no barriers to the ark. The old system was up on the mountain in Gibeon. They were still doing sacrifices. They were still doing all the religious stuff, but there was no ark of the covenant behind the curtain. They were still doing all the religious activity, but the glory wasn't there. There's all kinds of institutions today still doing all the outward stuff, but there is no inward expression of the glory of God. He's not home. He's home where everyone has a full revelation of his unfailing love. He's at home where everybody understands it's not by works. No man can boast. No one can do it on yourself. It's by faith because of the grace of God alone that you are in this wonderful abiding relationship with God. David knew that. David had a revelation of it in an old covenant time. He had a new covenant reality, and he offered it to everyone. And if you do that, if you let everybody come to the ark and worship openly, they all should have died. The old covenant says nobody but one man once a year gets to do this. David said, I am willing to believe that God Really, really, what he really wants is every person free access to his glory. So I'm going to abolish the old system in my day, and I'm going to put God where he wants to be in Mount Zion. What is Mount Zion? Mount Zion is a type of the church. Don't fight it. It's the truth. And what is the church? Individuals. No, the church is a corporate body. God wants to dwell without veils, without hindrance. He wants an expression of his unfailing love with every person, every place, every man, woman, and child, every single ethnic background and race. You don't check things at the door. You just say, welcome home. All right, we got three people excited about that. All right, 1 Samuel 16, that's where we are. It says, but the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. Got to bring some understanding to that. James 4, 7, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will free, flee from you. Uh, Ephesians 4 says, don't give the devil a foothold. He's talking to the church. He's talking to believers. Listen, if you don't want to go God's way, God doesn't send something evil to you. You have opened yourself up to something, and you need to pay attention. God's not going to send something evil your way. God isn't going to do that. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but God has come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. But you see, when Saul totally rejected the Lord, rejected his plan it says the lord rejected him and when you choose it says that he wanted sacrifice more than obedience which means that he embraced the the what it says is he embraced rebellion and rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and when you step into that you know god didn't send that your way sin has its own consequences God's harassing me. No, he's not. God loves you. If he's harassing you, he's saying, Come on home, come on home, come on home. But you see, I tell you, if you insist on going away that is fleshly, flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. Can I get an amen? Mm. Man, hallelujah. All right, I got three minutes to finish up. So uh, David, after being anointed, went right back to the sheep. That's where he went. Now listen to this right here. This is what I'm going to try and say today really fast. You ready? Your private worship is preparation for public influence. Your private worship is how you prepare yourself 
for public influence. That's what we're going to talk about real fast. Matthew 6, 6. But when you, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door. Say shut the door. Sometimes you got to shut the door on the devil, but you got to shut the door on everything else. You got to get your mind fixed on God. Shut the door. Get in with God. Pray to the Father who is in the secret place. Say secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Your open expression of what God's doing in your world is directly related to your personal life, your private life. What are you doing? Do you know the secret place? Do you know, do you have a place in the secret place? Do you have a place where you find the secret place? Because God is in the secret place. And see, it's in those secret place times where preparation and influence is being poured into your life. First Samuel 16, 18, here's Saul. Now Saul is being tormented by an evil spirit and he's getting messy, he's getting grumpy and it's, oh my goodness, what's going on? So some of the servants said, I think you need a minstrel. I think you need somebody who can, you know, have regular worship services with you because you know when the music plays and there's worship to God, those demons, they take off. You, you need somebody to play. So there he says, okay, I agree. Find somebody for me. Now I love this. First Samuel 16, 18 says, then one of the servants answered, and said, look, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is a skillful, he's skillful at playing, he's a mighty man of valor, he's a man of war, he's prudent in speech, he's handsome, and the Lord is with him. Say, I know a guy. I know a guy. I know a girl. And what's amazing to me is he went right back to the sheep. I mean, after anointed to be king, I'm going to be king, change my clothes, take me to my throne. He's anointed to be king. You know where he goes? Right back to the sheep. He goes right back to the most despised job in their culture. But when he goes back there, what's he do? I don't know what happened here, but this doesn't say I know a shepherd. It's not even in there. But you know what it says? I know a guy. If you're looking for a guy who's really, really talented, who brings the glory, if you're looking for a guy, I mean, he, he, I mean he's, he's a mighty man of valor, he's mighty in war, he's prudent, and he's handsome. But you know, here's the big thing, the Lord is with him. Say, I know a guy. I know some guys and some girls. I know some guys and some girls right in this room. I know some guys. You know, and right where you are, you may think, here I am with the sheep, what can I do? But you know, where you are, like Z, you're you're selling new TV equipment to people, but you're a guy. And you know, you're not a guy selling, it doesn't say anything about the guy who sells TV stuff. I know a guy. You know, he's prudent of speech, the spirit of God is on him. And no matter where you, you're in disguise where you are, but where you are, you're manifesting the kingdom. I don't know what David did, I don't know how some servant in Saul's temple says, I know a guy. They're asking, do you know somebody? I know him. I don't know if David was his own personal devotion times had become live concerts and everybody was going out in the wilderness to hear this shepherd boy just sing to the Lord. But he became famous in his community as a shepherd. He was anointed, but he went right back to being a shepherd. And as a shepherd in his private world, he began to do something that affected him having influence in public because he understood that I'm anointed to be king. It might take time. But while I'm waiting, I'm going to worship. Let me say that again. I'm anointed to be king. I feel like it's not all there yet, but while I'm waiting, I'm going to worship because in that place of intimacy, in that private place, you're going to determine your public influence. Wherever you are right now, you're not looking. You're not waiting to arrive. You're not, you're not saying someday, you know, I'll be able to be all that I am. You are everything today. 
You might say, well, I'm a real estate agent. You're not a real estate agent. You're a child of God full of the anointing. You might sell real estate on the side, but no matter where you go, people are going to say, I know a guy. I know a gal. They're not going to say, I know real estate agents. They're going to say, I know a guy. I know a gal. They know how to bring heaven. If you want to get rid of evil, if you want transforming life, I know some people. Oh, and by the way, they are real estate agents. But you know who they really are? The anointed men and women of God who know how to bring the glory of God everywhere they are. David out in that field. David out in that field doing his personal thing. People, servants who, who lived in other cities. I know a guy in Bethlehem. Man, he must have been having incredible live concerts out there in the field. And people were coming to just sit under the anointed ministry of David. You know, you might be waiting, you might be in a frustrated time, but David, all through his life, he understood what it was to wait, and he understood in the waiting that it was time. So David came to Saul, he stood before him, he loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. David, who was anointed to be king, David, who was going to take over for this king, he went and he stood before him and he loved him, and he became his armor bearer. Psalm 57, it says it's a triumphant faith to the pure and shining one. It says it's an instruction for a song to be sung. And in this song, he says, please God, show me mercy. Open your grace fountain for me, for you are my soul's true shelter. David understood how to sing. He understood how to bring the glory. He understood that no matter what situation, what hardship, what difficulty, what season of waiting you may find yourself in, if you'll worship in the in-between, you'll experience the influence and the glory of God. Some of you are in between. Some of you are in that space between. Some of you are frustrated where you are. But I tell you, you know how you turn that situation around? You know how you ensure your future? Worship him. Worship him. Out there in a field by yourself with the worst job you could ever have, David pulled out his harp and he worshiped God. And the presence of God was mighty upon him until he, was, he wasn't in the city. He wasn't in the throne room. He was in the field. And yet the anointing of God was manifest on his life so much so that people were saying, I know a guy. I know a guy. I know a girl. I know somebody. Saul didn't know how to wait. David knew how to wait. It took David a long time. There were three anointings in his life. He was anointed in that field. Then he was anointed to be king of Judah. Then he was anointed to be king of Israel. But for all of those anointings to take place, David had to learn the power of waiting. Let me just fly through a few slides. Ready? Let's just go. Oh, just that one's kind of interesting. Albert Einstein, I often think in music. I live my daydreams in music. It says Albert Einstein, when he gets stuck in an equation, he would pull out his violin and just begin to play. Then he'd stop and he would write down mysteries. Music is a powerful, powerful tool. But when you learn in the waiting, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as evil eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Psalm, oh, I'm going the wrong way. Say, go the right way, Pastor. Go the right way, Pastor. Oh, I'm still going the wrong way. Oh, I'm going the right way now. There we go. There we go. All right, let me find one more. Psalm, Psalm 62, 5. Psalm 62, 5. It says, God, the one and only, await as long as he says, everything I hope for comes from him, so why not? God, the one and only, I'll wait as long as he says, everything I hope for comes from him, 
so why not? The Amplified says, my soul, wait upon God, silently submit to him, for my hope and my expectation are from him. Let me just put this up again, one last slide, here it is. Your private worship is preparation for your public influence. If you're expecting that something should be going on in your public world, you're waiting for something to come into manifestation, there must be more. The more isn't determined by whining, getting frustrated, or complaining. Your more is brought into manifestation by your time in the secret place, where in a time of pain, in a time of betrayal, in a time of difficulty, in a time where it seems your hopes are gone, when you're frustrated, in that time, where do you go? Go into the secret place. Shut the door. Begin to worship God. And I'm telling you, you will see your world shift around you. You will see things change. David understood there is nothing that veils me or keeps me me from the presence of God. I am going to worship him. And why not? Because everything comes from him.